Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.millcreekent.com, that's millcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Because you can't police audio. <laughs> can't tell me what to do. At least not at the level we're at. Like, you know. We're small enough that no one's listening. <laughs> That's getting less and less true. I know. Like, I was surprised when I checked the 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 Dirty Harry episode. And it's already at 20 listens. Oh, really? That just, that just went up not too long ago. I haven't checked the stats since we posted that one. It's Possibly. it's amusing. Like I, I remember when we first started the show, I was like, "There's no way we're going to be able to talk for an hour." <laughs> the the key is talk about whatever pops into our heads, whether it's on topic or not. I've also found the key is to just start rolling instantaneously. Yeah. Um. Cool. All right. Well, that's old business. I guess new business is, you know, the episode on hand. Yeah. All right, let me get into character. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Vyers, and with me, as always, is a guy that every time he hears you're the hunter from the future, he nods and proclaims, I am. I am. Ned Richards. <laughs> I, I had to, like, just comment on the, the fucking name of this movie. Like, I was telling it to Amanda. It was like a who's on first route. <laughs> I was like, what are you watching? You're the hunter from the future. What? I am. <laughs> <laughs> and then let's, uh, let's do the other one. R- originally, me and you had a little, um, I don't want to say disagreement. We both came up with a line. We, we both got excited about one, and it was, yeah. And Nick's was. Uh, and with me, as always, is the man that makes all the wild beasts look tame tonight. <laughs> still Nick Richards. <laughs> That's still a good one. I can't lie. <laughs> The, the entire theme song is so fucking incredible. You know, because don't forget, it's uh, yours world. He's the man. <laughs> he... 
<laughs> I have the lyrics pulled up so that I can reference them at any point <laughs> during Smart. this. Smart. You're the touch of fire, the proud and free desire. He never sees the sun. He's always on the run. <laughs> Since I assume most of you listening are just such diehards that you don't even look at what the episode's about, uh, on this episode of the Shameless Picture Show, we're going to be knocking a bit of camp off my shameless and delve into the Milk Creek release of your The Hunter from the Future. I am. Bum, bum, bum. I am. <laughs> uh, we, t- we talked about It. We talked about uh, Saw. And now we talk about you're the hunter from the future. I'm sure we could arrange those in such a way where we could totally build a great who's on first. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we could. Oh, I hate whenever I have to talk about the Saw films. I saw Saw. <laughs> you, oh, I see Saw. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've made this this joke before and it's still fantastic. <clears throat> Anywho. Did you see it? I did. <laughs> Oh, anyway, <laughs> we got to We got to write something for that at some point. Anyways, uh, directed by directed by Antonio Margariti under the pseudonym Anthony M. Dawson and written by Margariti and Robert Bailey set before the dawn of time. Strayed savage beasts roam the land and cave people fight for survival. Yor is the mightiest hunter around, but walks alone without a tribe. Yor's origins are unknown, and the only clue he has is a mystical me- golden medallion that he's had around his neck since he was a child. Yor sets on a quest of discovery along with two new companions, a priestess named Kala and her protector Pag, to find where he fits in the world. Yor, the hunter from the future, was by far the most successful film, Margariti director, but was critically panned by the likes of Variety, the New York Times, and the Washington Post, which claimed even gluttons for dumbness may find it easy to refrain from a second helping. (laughs) To top it all off, Yor was nominated for three awards... The Golden Raspberry Awards <laughs> for Worst Actor, Worst Theme Song, and Worst Something Else, uh, which I think are all incorrect. Uh, <laughs> However, that being said, the film lives on today with a strong cult following, and even the director admits it's not a great film, but he's proud of it. We can live in peace with our people. He is from a future world, trapped in another time, searching for his past. A hunter of incredible power and strength. In his quest for his origin, he and the woman he loves must fight hostile tribes. Battle deadly beasts. And try to survive the violent forces of a newly born Earth. He is the warrior known as... Your. His medallion holds the key to his destiny. His courage makes him master of a world in chaos. His enemy uses the weapons of tomorrow to enslave a primitive planet. But his passion for freedom will set his people free. You're the hunter from the future. And actually, I've got a great way to describe it. I was doing... There's not much information on this film out, out there, but there is a, uh, a really well-written essay by, on a website called Free, the, the Free Kitten Movie Guide. Oh, nice. And the author, D.M. Anderson, wrote that this film, they're trying to create Flame and Young on a PB&J budget, which I think is yeah. fair. Yeah. Um, 
I think one of the actual like thoughtful points, other than just us going through and saying all the ridiculous things that we really liked from oh, because there's going to be plenty. That that will be the majority of this episode. But I think the actual thoughtful point that I'd like to make is about the shared experience of watching movies together. Me uh, and you, or just in general with other people? In general. Gotcha. Everyone. So, a lot of times you, you focus so much on the film itself that you don't think about the experience that you went through with the people that you watch it with. But there's something really special about really bad, really campy movies where you can turn away from it and you're interacting with the people that you're watching it with much more. Um, and bad movies can still be amazing social experiences for that reason. No, you're exactly correct. And the one mistake I made while watching this film was choosing to watch it alone. Because while, yeah. there, while there was things, there was plenty plenty to like, um, since it was on my stream list, I guess I'll say what I, what I thought about it. It's not a movie I loved. However, I feel like it's a film, the more, if I watch it with people, it's really going to grow on me. Because it's, it's, it's a weird thing, because this film is so fucking all over the place and weird <laughs> that every time I started getting bored with it, something different would happen. It's, I felt like it, this movie's got a logical three-act structure, but each act is its own movie. Um, it's funny you say that. It was originally designed to be released as a four-part miniseries. Which would have been... Which are perfect. like 40 to 50-minute pieces. Um, and it's based on an Argentinian comic book. Yeah, I read that. And then uh, that the director was kind of enamored by it, so... Yeah. And here's... So we have... Argentinian comic being written and directed by an Italian director and shot in Turkey. <laughs> like, there's a lot to say about that just alone. Because, like, the thing I love about Italian cinema is there's not a subgenre of film where Italians haven't taken and ran with. <laughs> because there's plenty of them. Like, you know, this being more in the sword and sandal type Yep. You know, Conan the Barbarian the po film. post-Conan, yeah. And I'll be the first to admit, that's still a blind spot for me. I haven't seen a lot of them. Um, I don't know. Like, whenever I'd see the covers, I was like, I don't know if I want to... It just never intrigued me enough to watch a movie about a guy in a loincloth with a sword. I, like, I, I'm right there with you, and um, Conan is actually... If it's not already on my official show, Shameless, then I'm adding it now. Um, having done this episode, and it got brought up with the people I was watching it with. Um, so it, it's something that I think should really get checked off my shame list. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it's something I need to see too. It's just one of those movies that just escaped me for so long. And um, I'm trying to think of like the, the, the best, because we're already all over the place trying to think of the best <laughs> way to, to talk about this film. Um, like I said, like I'm, I'm mixed about it. The couple things I, I thought it did well. I feel like if this movie would have had a bigger budget, it could have done a lot because the movie's clunky. I don't know if that's necessarily on the director's part because if I, if you look up the director, um, he's got a pretty sizable career. He never did a whole lot. Like it looks like you know, being an Italian director. 
He's been all over the place. He's done his he's done his spaghetti westerns. He did his cannibal Holocaust Holocaust ripoff. He's done his giallos. He's done a little bit of everything. He's worked with names like Lee Van Cleef and John Saxon. You know, he's Klaus Kinski. So like, it's one of those things that like I don't know necessarily how if he's necessarily a bad director or if he just didn't have the budget. Uh, because like there are some things in this movie that were made really well. Like as dumb as it is to have a herbivore attacking your at the beginning of the film, it was all things considered a pretty decent practical effect. For yeah, yeah, and it, he beat I, the shit out of that dinosaur. <laughs> for that era, that that type of um, that budget certainly, you know, having and it wasn't the only dinosaur in the film either. No. You know, it's not Jurassic Park, but it, it was never going to be. No. And, like, at first when they were, like, hunting the armored, like, was it the pig dressed like a dinosaur or whatever? It's like, oh, th- is this what it's going to be? That was the- amazing. <laughs> and then the fucking dinosaur came out of nowhere. And no. you're, with his axe that's more just of a club, he just kept beating the shit out of that dinosaur. And it's like, well, this is fantastic. What, while the entire tribe wielding weapons stood and watched. Yeah. Uh, no, it looks like he's got it. He's, this stranger is going to be just fine. <laughs> and then, like, one thing I, I, I kept thinking of, because I watched Yore, and then I went to go see Black Panther, like, the next day. Okay. And I just kept thinking, it's like, someone could do a big-budget version of Yore where, like, you can mix prehistoric cavemen shit with sci-fi action, kind of like a, a mixed, like kind of like Thor, and make... A pretty watchable movie out of it. Like, oh sure, I'm thinking. Oh, absolutely. I never thought I'd say it, but fucking, you're the hunter from the future needs a needs a remake. <laughs> Let's do it. Put the treatment together. <laughs> we got to start pitching that around for some cashola, because <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want our sci-fi sequences to just be dudes in leather outfits running around a factory. Right. <laughs> well, and it's something that. You could point to a lot of things that made the film not successful, but I think one of the saddest oversights is I don't I think it did a terrible job of connecting the prehistoric world with the futuristic robot island thing. And that's not to say that the the information isn't there. Um, and I'm sure it's stronger in the comic. I have not bothered to look it up or read it. Yeah, we don't care about um, that. But I think there was so much potential. Like, okay, so cheesy effects, fine. Cheesy acting, low budget. You you can you can deal with a good amount of that if they had done a better job of connecting why how he got from that from point A to point B, why he did it, um, I think it would have been a significantly stronger film. No, I completely agree, because, like, you know, I've seen enough Italian films in my time to know that acting is going to be questionable, and not because <laughs> anyone in it is necessarily a bad actor, but think about it this way. You've got, um, you've got Rep Brown, who is an American, acting against a a french actress 
who was actually was in Moonraker. Yeah, I we have a connection to an old episode. Yes, you do. And then uh, the guy who's playing Pog, uh, Luciano Pagazzi, he's Italian. So with th- some amazing ADR happening throughout the entire yeah, film and to like, try and balance all that. How we, how Sergio Leone used to do these films, uh, and Clint Eastwood talked about this. He's like he said there was a, a famous scene in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where him and a, a priest are talking in a church, and the priest is actually Leone's brother who speaks not he doesn't speak a lick of English, uh, and Clint Eastwood knew a couple phrases in Italian but was not fluent in it to say you know. Uh, and since um, Clint Eastwood's the star, they're obviously going to have it be... Pri- He's going to speak English because it's for American audiences. Yeah. Uh, how they would work this, uh, Clint Eastwood has said, is when he's talking, the other guy just knows. When Clint Eastwood's done talking, he, the other guy says his lines in his comfortable language, and they just know to go back and forth like that, and then yeah. they dub it over later. So you could have the greatest Italian actor on the war, on the planet, but if he's working against someone who doesn't speak his English, there's always going to be a bit of disconnect. Right. And I completely yeah. agree. Like I feel like this, if the story would have been stronger, it would have been a completely different thing. Because I don't know if I just – at one point I stopped paying attention. I, I'm still not even too sure why Yor was in the prehistoric era or – it it took this is probably the fourth time that I've seen this film and it took this is the first time that I got it because it is glossed over and not properly supported um, so uh, if I'm understanding it right from this watch through your was born in the future hence the name which again was something that never totally made sense to me on previous viewings your is from the future he was born in the future in that uh on that island perhaps oh, he's um, kind of like the kal-el of the story and then there's this storm surrounding this island that acts as a time portal a time warp okay so so for whatever reason as a child he was sent through this time portal uh, and grew up in the past. And he had the medallion from the future. So he grew up as a, a dawn of time caveman. Um, gotcha. Then, then he was trying to track down the origins of this medallion, which somehow sent him back to this island through this storm, uh, where they said, yes, you're one of us. You were raised here. You were, you know, um, you're one of our people. But then right. he abandoned... As with the lyrics, he, where is it? He abandons his name or <laughs> uh, born survivor, just battling paper mache. Dyn- oh, that's fake. <laughs> um, it, it, in the song, it talks about he's like uh, abandoning his name tonight or something. <laughs> Yours, world. Um, I had to act funny thing. I had to put the subtitles on for that song the first time because I had no idea what the fuck they were saying. Yeah. Um, you know what? I might be one of the few people that wishes this. I wish there was more sci-fi action in this film. It should have hit sooner. Yeah, like I think halfway there was, halfway it, through, like when he found uh, uh, I'm terrible with names in this movie. When he met Enna in the the cave, that's when they should have gotten to. The uh, the future, 
when yeah. he met the other other when he met the girl with the medallion and everything, and you saw the other guys frozen in ice for some reason. Yeah. Uh, that's when I think it should have happened. And instead, what we got was a very weird love triangle. <laughs> Extremely weird. <laughs> like you know, yours originally. Like he's pretty much he's pretty into Kala, and then he met Enna, and he's like, "Fuck you, Kala. I'm interested <laughs> in Enna." And then Enna dies, and he's like, "Oh, Kala's my girlfriend." I, I don't even think it was fuck you, Tala. It was like, ah, now you will both be my women. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's uh, more accurate. Because there was that constant line that it came from like three different sources. Like, well, in our culture, uh, men have several wives. And it was like every tribe they ran across was like, well, why why just one? Why not both? <laughs> Where Where's his other wife? Right. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but then you got that great bit by the river where Kala is like, I'm going to kill you. But then she dies from that purple face, like, yeah. monkey thing. And then she was like, oh, I'm so sad she's gone and put a flower on her grave. Yep. <laughs> uh, however, during all this stuff, when, um, you know, Kala's dealing with her, her, her broken heart over your having eyes for another another uh woman pog gives some really great insight uh this line for some reason stuck out at me (laughs) a a generous man does what his heart commands (laughs) let's just let that sink in yep it it either is absolute gibberish or it's beautiful and brilliant and i haven't wrapped my head around it yet (laughs) we'll let everyone stew on that a little bit (laughs) let let us know what do you think uh also pod's arrows were ridiculous there's no way those things would fly they were so it was like a stone knife like tied to a stick plus it would have been so off balance plus his his bow in itself was really thick (laughs) it it looked like a toy bow and arrow that was never meant to fire but they had those suction cut like the way he held it and it was Mm-hmm. So wonderfully horrible. <laughs> uh, there was a moment where I could definitely see uh, how thin they were stretching this budget. Was when um, when um, your Kala and Pog were like. I'm trying to think of where they were going. It was after the blue skinned villagers. It was like the fire people, like right before they met Enna. Okay. They're walking through, like, a stone chasm, and you could obviously see, like, three people just huddled next to yes. the the rock wall. And Yor walks right past them, never thinking, hey, th- that's just three people just in gray paint. And then they come in and attack them. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like what in the script, I don't know this for a fact, but I feel like in the script there was... You know, something a little cooler, like, you know, he walks past the rock wall and then the eyes open up or something. And it's like, sure. we, can't, we can't really afford to do that, so just huddle over there and try to make yourself kick just rocks. And, amazing. like, maybe if they would have framed it differently so I couldn't see their legs. Yeah. But the legs were a dead giveaway. <laughs> um, let's talk for a second about, because so much of this film is, like, cheesy, horrible you know, it can't be. Do you have any thoughts on things that they that they really succeeded on? Things uh, that they did well. Yes, I thought all things considered, the like I said, I thought the practical effects were really good. Uh, there was a scene with like the fire tribe where 
all it was kind of amazing and i and like i don't mean this in a bad way this one i mean completely it, it was actually kind of impressive that they were fighting in slow motion while actually not being in slow motion because they were using legitimate fire and they were doing all these stunts themselves and you know red brown's not wearing any clothing so he like <laughs> they they have all this stuff orchestrated with fire and these fight scenes were all things considered really well done because uh, at the time, you know, fight scenes were all done in wide shots, and you know, the type of film they're trying to imitate. I thought that was really well done. I I surprisingly liked uh, the character of the Overlord and his like hall of wonders, oh. as I call it. Like I don't know, I felt like John Steiner was doing what he could with the character, um, yeah. and like his design. I thought when we we're in his throne room, I was like, okay, this is really cool. I like the look and design of this. It didn't match the fucking warehouse they are in later on but no like i thought and then you know for all things considered red brown who plays your there's only so much you can do with this character in terms of acting uh i thought he did a sizable job and i really end up liking pog at the end of the film the old man like yeah it looked like he was doing his own stunts and like <laughs> i imagine like uh the actor who plays pog he's a pretty respectable italian actor and i was like you know it's kind of cool that he cares enough about his job that he's willing to do this job in a loincloth. Oh, all the butts. Oh, so the God, butts everyone's butts. Every, like, Red Brown, I've seen his butt so many times. I saw Corinne Clary's butt so many times. <laughs> it's so many asses. I, that could I be a positive, too. I, I Right. I do appreciate, though, like, unlike with, like, Dirty Harry that would just watch this last episode... Some of the, like, there was the peeping Tom sequence where it was so apparent that they're like, let's get one more of those shots in, you know. Oh, mm-hmm. oh by the way, you want to see that one more time? We'll throw that in one more time. Where this, they didn't feel, it never felt to me that, like, the director was trying to, like, hey, here's a shot of some skin for you, you know. It, I had to say, I was all things considered impressed that they didn't make the loincloth with underwear. Like it, they ju- it was just a loincloth covering yep. their bits, and they all took it with gusto. Mm-hmm. Like I have to say, like it never made sense to me if I'd watch Tarzan and like he'd be fighting and he had underwear underneath. It's like this is the first time I've seen a loincloth that was layered legitimately just to cover your bits and not very effectively, mind you. <laughs> I I hope that like one hundred percent of the pre-production energy went into defending that creative decision. <laughs> I hope so. That there was uh, no like, like, yeah, the dinosaur is fine. I am putting these people in real loincloths. This has to happen. It's like uh, I I've, I was listening to a podcast recently. It's called Inside Psycho, where it's a six part deep dive about the making of Psycho. And mm. at the time when Psycho was made, toilet you could not see a toilet on screen, let alone yes. hear it flush. It was just was not yep. allowed. And you know the the censors sent their their note to Hitchcock. They're like, you got to remove this. This is not cool. And like in the podcast, they they say that Hitch just kind of leaned back in his chair, chomped on a cigar, and said, "Well, we're gonna have to fight for it." Like without even thinking, like, will, this is this is something he has to fight for. I will go to the mat on this toilet shot. <laughs> this is important. It's necessary for storytelling. We are gonna fight with all of our power to keep this in. It would be so easy to go, yeah, we don't really need that toilet shot. But, you know, kudos for him to say, fuck you, I'm putting this toilet in this film. I like to imagine, like, he just, like, flipped the table. He's like, no! 
We're getting you just that told toilet. me what to do. I'm going to put in two toilets. <laughs> Alfred now. Hitchcock. You can't tell me what to do. Uh, anyways, I'm going to turn the question back to you. Granted, yes. this is the, this is the movie you recommended to me because uh, of your fondness towards it, and uh, Mill Creek, our sponsor, was really nice in making sure you got yourself a copy of it. Yeah. Um, what do you think the film did well? What appeals to you about this film besides just nostalgia? Oh, let, um, me, see, let me see inside your brain. Well, I th- I think I'm gonna treat that as that single question as two separate questions. Sure. Um, That's what I meant. So, <laughs> I'm going to treat it as seven separate questions then. Sure. Okay. What's, That's what I meant. What's going on in my brain? Oh, sit down and let me spin you a tale. <laughs> now, um, the biggest thing for me, and I didn't really uh, frame it this way until this watching, but I think what made me fall in love with this film in the first place is that concept of the the shared experience of watching a bad movie because i was introduced to this film by a friend of mine uh shout out to uh sean and amber uh thank you so much you guys have made this episode possible on with milk creek um and it was that same thing like there's this horrible movie that you have to see. Like, let's all sit down and watch this horrible thing together. And it becomes a part of your shared dialogue as friends. Like, the amount of times that we were just hanging out and would scream out, it burns like fire. <laughs> because apparently everything in yours world burns like fire. Especially uh, when he pees. And this goes to the idea of in any relationship creating... Um, your own kind of language. You can you can say by quoting something. You can say with a few words. You, you can convey a lot more than you ordinarily can when you're referencing an experience that you shared together. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason why I fell in love with this movie. Um, and again, I think because it's a bad movie, it. It encourages the audience members to to interact with each other much more. When there's a good movie, I tend to, if I'm watching it with somebody, you sit and you watch it. Um, I just watched um, Volver for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wasn't a lot of crosstalk because I was engrossed in the film. And then afterwards, you kind of analyze it, but you don't have that dialogue as it's happening so it's still it was a great film but it's a different kind of experience and i think watching bad and uh, they talk about this in that um documentary about the fan base behind trolls 2 right like best worst movie fun fact luciano pagazzi who played pog was the grandfather in that movie continue Mm. there you go um but it does, it creates community. Like, that's that's yeah. why these cult fan bases pop up. It's not because people just, like, really want to waste their time on terrible art. It's, it's that that shared experience is something that you can't get with quality film. No, exactly. It's like when I, when I, when I watched The Godfather recently. Like, it's not a good group movie. 
Yeah. Yeah. Afterwards, you can pick it apart and be like, yeah, this they did this really well, they did this really well. But like a movie like that, you don't want to talk. Yeah. And it's like it's it's like something like The Godfather is. Uh, for something like The Godfather is more in the vein of high art, while your The Hunter from the Future is pop art. Yeah. Um, so then uh, the follow-up question, or I guess separate question, of what I think they actually succeeded and did well, um, what really stood out to me was the locations. Um, yeah. And it... I've, one of my techniques, if you'll call it, as a filmmaker of covering up the fact that I'm not brilliant, is if you can find amazing locations, you're going to add so much character to your film without work, without a whole lot, you know, you, you get a lot of production value without all of the effort of building those sets and writing that character in. You, It's a lot of layers um, and and I felt that um, <coughs> with all their exterior shots of walking through these kind of badlands, this desert, the 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 woods, the huts that they had built up on stilts on the waterfront, um, and they did a great job with the as you were referencing in in the future setting on this island um, that made it compelling and also contrasted significantly against everything else that you had seen before that. Um, so uh, I, I really appreciate what you had said and hadn't thought about it like it, but it's absolutely true. You know, yeah, there are points where this film drags, but right when you start to feel that, something really different will happen, and you're like, oh, okay, now I'm now I'm engaged again. Yeah, like, I could actually, like, you know... Um... I have to say, like, I, I I was bored during the opening credits. Other than the music, it's like watching Red Brown struggle to run down a hill. Like, uh, one of the reviews I read for this movie said, for all aspiring filmmakers, don't ever introduce your character by running down a steep hill. We're not men. <laughs> and I was like, fair. Uh, and I was like, other than the song, it's like just seeing, you know, shots of large vistas. Like, I was like, well, I can listen to the song, whatever, which uh, you all have to go listen to because it's fantastic. Oh, we have to include it oh, in this yeah. episode. And then, like, you know. Yours, yours.
to the village and they're all lifting their children up to the air and the kids all really bored. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I am already bored. And then the the dinosaur fight happened. I was like, I'm in again. Um, and then, you know, some stuff happens and then the blue cavemen attack and that whole entire sequence is pretty was pretty great uh and there's a lot of creepy implications of those blue cave man they seem like they're yeah. cannibals they're very rapey and they're uh, uncomfortably yeah misogynistic and what there's no women know, in their community they, they just take them from yeah. other communities yeah this one's mine now we will fight and the winner will get this woman and then they you know he vanquishes the blue cavemen and he'd be like I, my my first thought was is the movie almost over? Like I feel like this was his big triumph and right. it's so early into the movie. There's he hasn't even gotten to the future yet. And then the it starts pacing was strange. Yeah, and then he starts dragging again and then he meets Enna and has that whole thing in the cave. I'm like, oh, this is kind of intriguing. And then there's the weird love triangle. Uh, I started losing interest again. And then boom, it's the- in the future. It's like I'm back in. I'm back. Well. You're you're missing the most important sequence of the entire film. How a bunch of corn husks tied together can float on the water, let alone suffer or make it through this wild storm that no one's been able to traverse before. For some reason, a a a stegosaurus with sharp teeth attacking them that doesn't bother you. Um, their makeshift nope. raft is what you're poking holes in. Yeah, not the raft. The raft was another. The the raft I was cool with. It was the corn husk boat. Oh, the one they the stole. Of- the one they stole from that really great action sequence of that village, just blowing the fuck up from from like random laser beams. Fire from the gods. It burns like fire. <laughs> yeah. No, it is a god. He fell from the sky. Oh, and like and then that whole cave battle was. <laughs> oh, oh, I just remembered a line that I love. Uh, <laughs> stupid talking box. oh and but like we're making fun of it but like i said that some of these sequences are really well done that exploding village scene like there was tension yeah and like i i saw where the budget went this movie did not have a very large budget but like they put all of it on screen yeah they weren't putting on the characters because they don't have any clothing so they could put it all into (laughs) effects what we save in loincloth fabric, we will put into blowing up huts and dinosaurs. I feel like if, maybe I'm wrong. Um, I remember reading about uh, just briefly in my little bit of research. Like I said, I don't like to use a lot of Wikipedia in these because it's always questionable. When a movie this obscure, there's not a lot out there. Yeah. Um, Plus, some a lot of the like the nature of of bad movies and the cult following is is you're going to that fan base for the information yeah because that's what makes the movie what it is so then wikipedia becomes a bit more applicable yeah and like one thing i i remember reading and maybe it's incorrect but like the original comic you're the hunter did not go to the future So, like, I just like to imagine that, like, you know, we've got a little bit of, we got a little bit of scratch here. We don't need much for costuming. The movie wasn't costing them much because it's about cavemen. They're like, well, how can we amp this up? You know, there's, you know, other than having some, like, a little bit of fire and some stick weapons, what can we do? Fuck it. Let's put this movie in the future. Right. Let's, let's, let's cash in on that Star Wars money. <laughs> totally. Well, in, in the same way that Moonraker did. Like, yeah. 
like James Bond, let's put him in space because Star Wars. What year was Moonraker? I'm trying to remember. Let's, let's, uh, you know, Conan was a big hit. Yeah, but what if we add Star Wars to Conan? (laughs) Yeah, because like I I just did, I just was looking at the Yor the Hunter comic page on Wikipedia, and it's like he he's apparently he's from Atlantis in there, and like but there were some science fiction themes. But the, oh. someone was like, you know what? Star Wars. <laughs> I think there's a solid premise here. And as you said, I think it could be rebooted very successfully. Um, like, hell, they, was... they could just change the Thor movies into your the Hunter movies. <laughs> like, if they remove all the Asgard stuff and just, like, I don't know. I feel like it's possible. And add a dinosaur? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd watch that. Totally. Uh, that'd be the most. That'd be the strangest reboot. Because <laughs> usually a reboot is made to to jump on the success of an existing franchise. Like, fuck, remaking Yor would be so strange. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. Except we don't have any money for it. Oh, uh, well, we'll just do it on the cheap. So let's make filet mignon with a, pe- put on a peanut butter Munchies. and jelly budget. <laughs> I have to say though, like that's like I read that quote and like I was nodding my head because like I get that I am oh, a low sure. budget filmmaker. I've never yeah. had much money. I only had did one time in my career and it was because I was making a film for Milwaukee Film. And but other than that, it's always just been like whatever we can scrounge together. So like. Yes, I'm, I don't want to say I'm being harsh in the film because, like, I'm. I feel like we're. It's 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 harsh in a loving way. Um, what I think um, is so endearing about this film is the fact that they tried to make something with large scope, without really yep. having to, the money to do so. Like, I've not been able to find an exact figure of how how much money they had, mainly because they, you know, shot it in different countries and everything. It probably wasn't much. But he's, you know, they're like, fuck it. Let's get the guy from the Captain America TV show and do something. <laughs> right. I like, um, I, I, I'm i going to butcher it because I don't remember the quote anywhere near as it was stated. But looking at comments from the director, I appreciated his his take on the film looking back on it. It seemed like he he knew exactly what your was that he he wasn't looking at it thinking that it was something different than what it was. Yeah. He's like, you know what? This was a really successful film for me. And I know it's not a brilliant piece of of cinema, but I think it is fun and I enjoy going back and watching it from time to time because it's it's a fun popcorn movie. Yeah. Like it's it's not like um Something like uh, it's not like the director uh, who made Troll Two, for example. Yep, right. Uh, in best worst movie, and like when they're when all the actors of Troll Two are on stage just butchering it, and the director's in the back of the crowd like tearing up because he, he legitimately thought he made, he made a, a good movie. film, and yep. like I feel for that guy because he's you know everyone's trash talking. He thought he did something great, and yep. it's hurting him. Like it's it's. It's almost more endearing that the director knew he wasn't making Shakespeare. He right. knew he was making a fun popcorn movie 
And he's like, And well, it is what it is. Yeah. And it's cool that people still like it. Yeah. Like he he's not he's not dumb. He's not he's not like Or na- naive naive to, to what what the film is. Yeah. Yep. And like Well, you got anything else on yours specifically? Um Did we mention the theme song? Yours world. It's his world, and you're gonna see his butt. Uh, one thing I will mention, I think You're the Hunter from the Future is a terrible title. Uh, I am. <laughs> I think, like, the Italian title, which was Il Mondo de Your, or The World of Your, Your's World, okay. however you want to translate yeah. it, would have been a better title. I think... I. I agree with you, but at the same time, it's fitting. Fair enough. You know, it because like the title is cheesy, the film is cheesy, it feels right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, one thing I will add uh cuz I'm I'm still on the Wikipedia page and Margariti has commented that uh the film is uh he said the extended uh, television release of the film is even more hilarious. <gasps> How do we get the Mill Creek? Do us a favor. <laughs> Find us this version. Uh, yeah, he says it's a fun project with almost no money. It was it was a party movie, and sometimes enjoy looking at it again. Yeah. Yep. So it's. I mean, what else could you want from a film career? Like, if you can go back and look at your stuff and go, "God, that was fun. This has brought people joy," even though it's not because of you know amazing just because it's fun like i i want i would be very happy at the end of my life if i have created stuff that has made people smile even if it's because it's bad yeah and like think about it this way the film is enough of a fan base that our sponsor mill creek did a restoration of your <laughs> and put it on blu-ray like you saw the film on vhs i i Tell me I'm right. The film looks a lot better than you remember it looking. Oh, yeah. Well, it... and Hell, you can see it in widescreen now. You can start getting into the debate about, like, you know, the, the musicians argue... The audiophiles arguing that vinyl's better. No, I'm really into eight tracks, and I'll, I'll never get rid of my cassette tapes till the day I die. And then, you know, on what media... How the media that it's stored on affects the experience right so i i now have a a terrible beat up vhs copy of your that my that my friend gave me when he moved it was like this like you know whenever you have a good friend move there it's often that you have this like trading of here remember me always and yeah yeah here is this thing as you're packing up and he gave me your and crawl i believe on vhs cassette (laughs) awesome um, and now I have this great Blu-ray copy too. That they're different experiences. They're both amazing mm-hmm. because of that. When you put in the VHS, you get that fuzzy, you know, yeah, jittery. You're preaching to the choir because I'm a I'm a VHS collector. <laughs> like I own I own more editions of Halloween than I do any other film. <laughs> but you know, and I completely agree that there is something to be said about that grainy way of watch just like you know i think i personally think the best way to watch texas chainsaw massacre is on vhs but i own a lot of cleaned up restored versions of the film because i yep. like 
having options. And like I said, totally. I like that a company, a place like Mill Creek or Vinegar Syndrome or Scream Factory, hell, even Criterion just put out Night of the Living Dead. I like that these companies are seeing worth in these films. So much yeah. so, like, not only to clean it up, you know, because they could just take whatever's available and just throw it on a disc. Not only did they clean it up, but they recorded a commentary with Red Brown, which I didn't get the chance mm-hmm. to listen to. But they know that someone out there cares about this. And while, like I said, we were poking fun at it, I know somewhere out there, this is someone's favorite movie. Yeah. And for that alone, I think it's worth watching just because I, I try not to be, I try not to shit on a film. And I think I'm glad that you always ask me, what did you like about the film? Because, like I said, there's something, there's something in this film that someone loves. And yeah. I like that it exists in the world. And you know what? Instead of a remake, I think we should make a crossover film, Nick. Okay. Let's do your the Hunter Back from the Future. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I think my brain just blew up. That's amazing. <laughs> That's the, the sequel, right? Yeah. You're yeah. Back from the Future. Because he does leave the island at the end. Yeah. Flying off in that, like, weird, you know... X-Wing that's not an X-Wing out of the really skinny corridor out back to back to the future, but to the past. Marty, yours become an asshole. (laughs) Something's got to be done about your kids. And then they crash into the DeLorean and they have to, using just technology they can find on yours uh, in the prehistoric era and what they can steal from the back on uh, Robot Island, they repair the DeLorean all as well. Fun fact, uh, the wig that Yor has in the film is the exact same wig as future Biff Tannen in Back to the Future 2. <laughs> There's all these that's, connections. That's not a fact. I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I was just going to run with it. Um, so before we wrap up for the episode, I know you just went to a film festival and had a couple things you wanted to talk about, and I wanted to piggyback on your soul episode where you're talking about soundtrack. Yeah. So which order do you want to do this in? Let's do soundtracky stuff first. I'm very eager to hear what you got. All right, since uh, I don't want I don't want this to run too long, and I want to play clips for all of these. I made kind of a longer list, but fuck it, I don't care. Uh, a couple <laughs> that really stuck with me, not necessarily my favorites, just some that stuck with me, is I have to mention it first and foremost is John Carpenter's theme from Halloween.
because Halloween is 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 affected every facet of my life. It, I in I'm gonna get shit for this, but I feel like you know what I mean. In my book, Halloween is probably one of the greatest films ever made, and not just uh, like oh, greatest horror. Film. Like I will sit, I will put that film toe to toe with fucking Citizen Kane, and I think it's it's if it's in my life, it's the greatest film ever made. I want to say I I could be wrong. I believe the Halloween theme, the time signature is ten eight. I thought it was four four, or no eight four. 8-4, maybe. Because, uh, well, John Carpenter's talked about his uh, father, who was a st- who was a session musician, uh, teaching him 8-4 uh, time signature on the bongos. Okay. And it's... Here, let's... Uh, I, now I have to look it up. Let's see. Um, time signature for Halloween theme song. Is written in 5-4. All right. We are both kind of close. Yeah. My father taught me five, four time. On a, one Christmas, I got a pair of bongos for Christmas, and he taught me how to play. Then, so I just rocked an octave. It's a really spare, a little tiny theme. Then I put a, a bottom end to it. And that was it. Which, five, four, and ten, eight are going to have a similar... It, it gets a little amorphous as the difference between 5-4 and 10-8. And yeah. But, like, I don't know, I just think it's a theme song that really just sticks with you, and it's instantaneously recognizable. Someone hears that, they know what it's from. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, I uh, from one of my favorite movies, Empire Records, <gasps> you, you, get the, you get Coyote Shiver's song, Sugar High, they sing on the, oh. on the top of the building. Yeah! 
every time that song yes. comes out, like I know practically every word to that song. It's like if someone was telling me, ask me, what are the song lyrics to Sugar High? I'm like, fuck if I know. But as soon as it comes on, I can hit every single word. Same. On that song. Yep. Yep. And it's, I think it's a great, I, I think it's a perfect movie. I think it's very, it's a time capsule for its, for when it was made. And I completely agree. I, I love think that movie. So everyone much. should see that movie. Like I think it, it. It, it stands up to the pantheon that John Hughes was creating in the 80s, but for a new generation of people that are trying to find their place in the world and who just don't give a shit, but at the same time, give too much shit. Um, so, quick tangent off of this. I recently had a conversation with somebody where we were trying to place ourselves and our friends as the character like if if you're a character from empire records who would you be you know who who are you and we do this for every movie and tv show but um so i'm going to pose the question to you first if you um were to identify with one particular empire like who is the mitle buyers in empire records uh, part of me, and I feel like um, this would be Amanda's vote because she obviously sees me in a different way than anyone else does. Yeah. Um, part of me wants to say I'd be I'd be the AJ of the group. Okay. The 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 art. Student. Why'd you glue these quarters down? I don't have, I, I don't, don't feel, feel like the need I'd... to explain my art to you. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, and then you know I feel like everyone in their brain thinks they're as wise as Lucas thinks he is. Okay. Uh, I feel like AJ would be um, who I'd want it really be, but honestly, I would not be surprised if I'm actually Mark. <laughs> um, so I always wanted to be the Mark, um, but am actually Lucas. <laughs> I feel like now as a, an adult, I'm Joe. We're all Joe. We're all fucking Joe. We all grew up to be Joe, but at least we didn't grow up to be Rex Men. Yeah. Um, oh, Rex, oh, you're so sexy. I should, I, I should be so lucky. <laughs> Say no more, mon amour. Oh, shit, i got to watch that movie again now. Um, okay, so Coyote Shivers, Sugar High. Yeah, Coyote Shivers plays Burko in the movie. Yeah. Um, didn't do a whole lot mu- music-wise, but the little bit I've heard from him, I really liked his music. Um, and I wish he would have done more music or even more acting because I think Burko was not featured enough. I feel like, honestly, he, if I if I could have a dream project, originally I would have said making, converting Heathers into a TV show, but someone's already doing that. <laughs> um, if I could do Empire Records, not maybe not necessarily as a series, but if I can do it as a miniseries, like a six-episode type thing where I can expand yeah. on those characters... That would be cool as a miniseries where each episode follows one character because it's an ensemble cast and you get little bits and pieces. Kind of like Elephant. Of everyone weaved together. Sorry, what's that? Kind of like the movie Elephant where if you could just follow each character throughout the progression oh, yeah. of their day and see how they interact with everyone. And it'd be even funny too, to like fun to like each episode to see the the episode is is strictly from the perspective of that character where like you know for example if um uh uh, uh Gina is 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 talking to um why can't I think of the other character girl who, Deb Tyler. Deb when when mm. when Gina and Deb are talking like shock when you're me, shock me, shock when me. you are on the on the Deb episode Gina, the way she performs, uh, you know, says everything is really snotty and shitty because that's the way Deb sees her, and then you see it from another yeah. perspective. I don't know. There's a lot you could do with they, that. 
They did something similar recently on the show This Is Us. I've heard a lot about that show recently. I I love it. Um, So there's three brothers and sisters. Um, They they call them triplets, uh, but one of them still born on the same day but was adopted. Okay. Uh, But grew up as brothers and sisters, so they're they're triplets for all intents and purposes. Um, And there's a lot of flashbacks to their childhood and how that affects where they all are now as adults. Well, there was a three-episode arc where it was the same series of events, but each one told the perspective of one of the three siblings. And did very much what you were saying, like... They did a lot with audio mixing, I think, where they didn't deliver different performances, but they highlighted certain comments and responses. The way they shot it and the way that they mixed the audio made a big difference in how you read that same conversation three different ways. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it sounds similar to the idea I'd want to do for an Empire Records TV show. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Moving on. All right, but but back to soundtracks. Um. A movie that not many people have seen, but has made a huge impression on me since I saw it. So much so that me that um, when we, me and Amanda got married, we both walked down to a different song, and this is the song that I walked down to that my buddies, the Directionals, played live for me. Uh, it's nice. it's called Faust. It's from the movie okay. Phantom of the Paradise, which is a rock opera retelling of Phantom of the Opera meets Faust. Um, nice. Performed by an actor by named William Finley, written by Paul Williams. I was not myself last night, couldn't set things right with apologies or flowers. Out of place is a crying clown who could only frown, and the play went on for hours. And as I live my role, I swore I'd sell my soul for one love who would stand by me. Give me back the gift of laughter, yeah One love would stand by me And after making love we dream A bit of style We dream a bunch of friends Dream each other's smile Dream it never ends I was not myself last night In the morning light I could see the change was showing Like a child who was always poor Reaching out for more I could feel the hunger growing And as I lost control Swore I'd sell my soul for one love Who would sing my song Fill this emptiness inside me One love Who would sing my song Lay beside me while we dream A bit of style 
dream a bunch of friends Dream each other's smile And dream it never ends All my dreams are lost And I can't sleep Sleep alone could ease my mind All my tears have dried And I can't weep Old emotions, may they rest in peace And dream, dream a bunch of friends Rest and dream, dream it never ends. If I had a way to pipe it into you right now, I would play it for you. But you know, <laughs> take my word on it that it's a really beautifully written song. And Paul Williams, cool. don't, Paul Williams knows his way around a song. So look it up as soon as you're we're done here. Um, the score for the Terminator. By uh, Brad Fidel is probably one of my favorite scores of all time. Um, uh, the song "Real Heel- Hero" by the band College from the movie Drive has always really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. 
Drive being one of my favorite movies in the last 10 years. Um, I think it's just an amazing mixture of, uh, uh, of high art, high concept with action fodder and it uses pop music really effectively in the film. Nice. Got two more. Um, Shirley Bassey's song Goldfinger from Goldfingers, one of my all-time <laughs> favorite Bond themes. Amazing choice. Um, I get goosebumps and then finally because this movie and this song helped cultivate my taste in punk music Iggy Pop's song Repo Man from Repo Man
desert sands When the desert whispered to me He said, isn't this a shame Things will never be the same Which you still need to see. It's on my shame list. I mentioned it to... Um, actually, that's a perfect segue because I was just telling that anecdote about how you compared it to my, uh, my film, To Repo Man. Uh, I was telling that story to a Scottish filmmaker friend of mine whom I met at the D.C. Independent Film Festival in Washington, D.C. when uh, at the, the world premiere of my film, Normal. Um, this is Dave Brown and his short film, A Bird in the Hand, mm-hmm. opened for normal. And we got along like Dane Busters, uh, became instantly fast friends, very similar to like our story and how yeah. we met. It was um, kind of meant to be. I, I made a lot of really great friends who live really far away from me during the <laughs> the festival circuit of normal. Um, it happens, but anyway. Man. Th- this week, this past weekend, um, Dave Brown came back from Scotland unexpectedly. He didn't think he was going to be representing there, but he, he ended up making it work to uh, promote a film that he produced, a short film, back at DCIFF, The Inescapable Arrival of Laszlo Patushki. Woo, that title. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy title, um, a really beautiful short film. Um, Is it, it available? Won it is not. Okay. It uh, recently, this year, won a Scottish BAFTA award. Ooh. And also won Best Short Film at, I believe it's the Rutgers Film Festival, maybe. Uh, a New Jersey festival. Um, I don't remember exactly which one, but um, it's doing really well. Um, played in a block of short films. I think there were six or seven short films. Um it's really, it's one of those films that um, has inspiring visuals, right? So there's not a lot of dialogue in the film. It felt a lot like an anxiety dream. Okay. Um, like those, you don't know the combination to your locker and you're late for class. Like, you yeah. that kind of feeling watching it. And 
I talked. I got to talk to the director. I don't remember his last name offhand, but a uh, guy by the name of Sven, very cool guy. Um, and um, he he kind of confirmed some of my suspicions about the film that it it was intended to like be this this anxiety dream. Um, so keep keep your eye on it. Find it on Facebook and like it. I'm sure once it is available, that's where you get the information. But once again, the title is The Inescapable Arrival of Laszlo Patushki. Damn. We're going to have to put a link to that in the uh, yeah. <laughs> in, in the liner notes because that's uh, going to be hard to remember. Um, <laughs> did you see anything else you liked there before I transition into a related topic? I did. Uh, there's There was one more short film that really stood out to me. Um, it got a little off for me at the end but the majority of it was hilarious really entertaining and that was uh the film potty the plant okay um if if you've seen uh neil patrick harris's puppet dreams youtube show i have it reminded it reminded me of a combination of that meets uh little shop of horrors with a little bit of vampire thrown in for good measure okay Um, it was a musical, um, absolutely ridiculous in the best possible way. Um, again, it got, it got weirdly... A lot of films, I felt like two or three of the films in the short film block got unnecessarily rape-oriented. Mm. And, and just, like, if it's an important part of your narrative, that's one thing. But to it was thrown around casually, and I think in our... I think we've kind of, as a society, agreed that that's not yeah. really necessary or appropriate. If it's a cheap narrative ploy, don't use it. Right. So, so that got weird. Um, but uh, up until that point, it was incredible. I think the the writers and directors have a great sense of of what's funny, um, and and really spoke to me. That sounds good. Actually, speaking of film festivals, I um, actually got to be be a special guest judge for a local horror festival called the Twisted Dreams Film Festival. A couple of fr- friends nice. of mine, they've been really good to me. They've their first their first two years, they've shown my stuff, and I've been help uh, helping them behind the scenes and whatnot. And they asked me originally, I was they've called they, they're calling me a special guest judge, but it's more of cur- uh, I was a curator for. Um, because uh, Lloyd Kaufman is one of the judges this year because I helped make that connection. Oh, cool. And, uh, you know, they're actually choosing which films are going to, you know, win an award. I had nothing to do with that. What I got to do is Troma submitted a bunch of films. And it's not like, you know, the classics Lloyd Kaufman stuff. It's like newer pickups that they've done. And okay. I got to watch through those and choose the one that I thought um, I, I wanted to show. And cool. there was one that stuck out with me that's going to play at the film festival. And for those of you listening who want to come, it's going to be uh, April 13th through the 15th. Originally, Nick and I were going to try to make it work where we could do a live show that weekend. I don't think it's going to work now, but that was the plan. Yeah, um, because I am going to Scotland shortly after that to see uh, to be there for the wedding of this of Dave Brown, the Scottish filmmaker yeah. that uh, I got to see. So, Which is, oh, you know, I'm not going to fault you for going to Scotland. That sounds rad. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but the film I chose, while there was, a, there was a couple that I really liked, the film that I ended up choosing was a movie called The Slashening. 
Everyone knows my fondness and love for slasher films. And while um, I will say the film's a little rough around the edges, it's got a lot of heart because what humor they're not trying to make a legitimate slasher film. They are trying to make a self-aware parody of them, um, which works because humor-wise, it's very similar to uh, what I love about Wet Hot American Summer, where it's really irrelevant and over the top. And like I said, a little rough around the edges. But I knew I wanted to see this film. I was going through the letterboxed reviews on the film, and one guy gave it a single star, because his his review was simply, this movie's got more dicks than a gay porn. I'm like, I'm sold. Because one of the other <laughs> Done. one of the other reviews that gave it a glowing review said they're you know they're playing with gender they're playing with gender stereotypes in slasher films. I'm like, a shit ton of dicks and and gender like and messing around with gender politics in a slasher <laughs> film. I like that idea because. You know, normally it's it's boobs for the sake of boobs. This one treats it a little differently, where it's just like, how many dicks can we show in a film? And right. I'll yep. be the first to admit, it wasn't as many as you'd you'd expect, but I liked that it was enough to offend someone. <laughs> right. And I was I was promised a shit ton of dicks, and I did not get that many. And I I was laughing so much throughout the film. Uh, so I recommend everyone come on down to the Twisted Dreams Film Festival and see the slashing amongst everything else because there's a lot of great things being shown. Sounds great. But uh, I think that's all I've got, Nick. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for our discussion of your The Hunter from the Future. Um, it's I, I do recommend seeing it, but only as... Don't, don't go in expecting a great film. Go in expecting a really fun time with a good group of friends. That's why you're watching this film. Yeah, a hundred percent. I don't know when it's ever going to happen, but if you can find a way to see it in a theater, do that. <laughs> and uh, so, our next episode, we plan on doing The Godfather. Yes. Which I think has kind of been at the top of both of our shameless. Yeah, I've never was... seen it. Well, te- well, technically, I have, but <laughs> I've seen a. Like, I've probably seen two-thirds of it, but always on TV in, like, 10 to 15-minute chunks. Yeah. You know, if, if I I will probably recognize the majority of it, but I, without the context of watching it consecutively, it, it's, you know, it doesn't mean much. Yeah, and exactly. And, like, and I, I, our schedule got pushed back so far because I thought we were doing The Godfather a lot sooner. I watched it already a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to need a refresher before we actually do this episode. <laughs> So it's going to be fun. And then after that, we're planning our big double feature. It seems like we're doing one double feature a year, which I think is a good amount. Yeah, um, one to two. Have we done two? I want to say we, we did the Christmas one. I thought we did another one, but I could be wrong. Technically, the Christmas one was in 2016, so I'm not wrong. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Touche. I was thinking per season. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but uh, the, and our double feature of Super Mario Brothers and Masters of the Universe. Awesome. And I'm going to advocate for the next one being Ravenous. I think we should do Repo Man because we've we've already done yes. enough of films off of my shame list. Okay. It's pretty much been Repo almost Man. consistently yes. me. Cool. And then after Repo Man, we'll do Ravenous. All right. It's a deal. All right. Well, you have a good one, Nick. Party on. You too. Party on, Michael.